What is happening, NBA fans? <clears throat> Sorry, I am late to uh, start today's show. A couple minutes late, but <clears throat> already got a bunch of people um, watching along. So thank you so much. And once again, I apologize for my tardiness. Got caught up with something. Anyway, as you read from the title of uh, uh, the today's show, I called it King Joker. We're going to open with a discussion of how can you not, you know? How can you not? We got to talk about the Jokic versus Morris versus apparently the entire Miami Heat team if uh, if that photo is to be believed. Um, and then we're going to dance around a little bit in the West since I focused on the East last time. Uh, I said I would uh, swing over to the West, so we'll talk a little bit with the West. And um, so we're going to start with the throwdown between Jokic and Morris, which if you're watching this show or listening to this show, I'm sure you've already seen the clips. I'm sure uh, some of you are watching it live and everybody has their opinion. Um, if you didn't see it by chance and you're listening to this or watching it, here's a quick breakdown of what happened. Jokic is bringing the ball up. Um, it is a transition play. Their offense is uh, pushing their advantage, and Jokic is in the middle of the court, <clears throat> and Morris runs over for what everybody assumes is going to be a take foul. And a take foul basically uh, just means you foul a player away from the basket on these transition plays um, to stop the offense from taking advantage of the fact that they have numbers or they've got the defense scrambling or something like that. And since they're not in the bonus, the defensive team, it doesn't really hurt them and it allows them to stop and reset and put in their half court defense um, and get, you know, all their ducks in a row. It's a common occurrence in the NBA and quite a few people want it legislated out. Uh, we got rid of a bunch of the nonsense calls and cleaned up the way the game is played. So now vocal critics of the take foul are coming out. And I think the biggest uh, of that is probably Jeff Van Gundy, but there are quite a few people that hate the take foul. Uh, it just, it stops the flow of the game. And I agree. I'm happier. I mean, if you had to give me a choice between taking away all the nonsense offensive player baiting the defender, the defender into a foul or creating the contact and getting the foul versus a take foul. Uh, I will take what they've already legislated out gone from the game every single time. It's not even a question. Um, the take fouls a much rarer occurrence and it doesn't corrupt the soul of the game as much as the previous did. But anyway, so Jokic is coming up the middle, and he's just assuming, uh, here comes Morris for a simple take foul. He's going to swipe at my arms or give me a little hug or, you know, that's basically what a take foul is. You wrap an arm around something where it's nothing egregious, but it's blatantly obvious that you're impeding the player. And Morris instead runs in and drops his shoulder into the underside of Jokic as Jokic is going to make a pass and lifts Jokic up off of his feet. Now, he's doing a little jump-skip pass, so he's already up a little bit, but Morris could have just easily come over, 
and given a light foul. The ref is looking for the take. They assume that the, that is what's happening. Everybody is assuming. And Morris comes in and gives him a shot, a cheap shot, for no reason. None. There is, you know why he did it? My assumption is because the Nuggets are up by 17 at this point. 17. There's two minutes and change left in the game. It's over. And I have to assume that Morris is not happy for that reason. And also the play that led to, or the previous sequence of action that led to this was Jokic and Bam uh, fighting underneath the rim. And Bam is on offense and Jokic is contesting and he may or may not have fouled Bam. Um, There was a lot of contact, but that's going this season. So you just kind of have to get used to it. So perhaps Morris was like, that's BS. You just fouled the living crap out of Bam. And this is a take foul. And we're down by 17. And his frustration just boiled over. Nonetheless, um, I it, so uh, sorry, I just stopped because Jeremy Bowers in the chat says he liked Morris's foul. He didn't see anything wrong with it. Uh, the Joker's response was uncalled for. I the the fact of the matter is though, a it's game nine. This is not the playoffs. So this is the playoffs. Perhaps you could say it, this is more in line with what your expectations are. And there's nothing wrong if you didn't feel that that was a foul. Then you know so be it. Or you like the foul versus what Jokic uh, did. So be it. You know, this is an opinion based uh, situation. This isn't a fact where the ball went in or it didn't. Um, this is a judgment call. See, to me, him lowering the shoulder and just barreling into Jokic, he collides with slightly, but collides with his knee. And he's already had one knee contusion, Jokic. So he has to be wary of that. Plus, you also have to take into account the Morris brothers, the Morai, um, are known for these bullshit plays. They are. I mean, Markeith alone. So I went through uh, my brain to try and remember, and then I started searching for uh, clips online just see what i could find the one uh that i remember off the, the top of my head was when markeith threw down davis bertans um when he was on detroit just threw him down it, it's such a childish play then uh there was another one where when he was on the lakers he very nearly blindsides boogie because Marcus, I can't remember who it was, knocks down Boogie's teammate. Boogie takes exception to it, uh, walks up and shoves Marcus, just defending his teammate. But it's full broadside. He sees it coming. I'm standing up for my guy. And then Boogie goes over to give his teammate a helping hand. And Morris comes up. And at the last second, Boogie sees him. But he comes up from behind and goes to shove him. Um, There's a play against uh, James... Enos or Ennis where he throws an elbow at him. Um, they're tussling underneath the rim ball goes, uh, to the other team and Morris, as they're walking up, throws an elbow at Ennis. Um, 
There's another one where he clocked Zaza in the head. Now you could say it's Zaza. This is almost a no harm, no foul because both guys at this point are known for these kind of bullshit plays. But that's what, so Morris brings it into it and it doesn't help that his brother's probably the bigger offender and they're identical twins, but they both do this. His brother Marcus has even a spotty or track record when it comes to these types of actions. So I think that's where you come into it with certain preconceptions. At least I did when you see this and you're like, Oh, great. Morris is another dirty play. Just uh, needlessly endangering the league's MVP. Um, it doesn't, you know, just here's a marquee player versus a guy who has bounced around. He's a solid contributor on a bunch of different teams, but he's never an all-star. He's never going to make an all NBA. He's not a hall of famer. Whereas the, you know, I'm not saying that if the roles were reversed, uh, Joker should get away with it because he is those things. No, then you would look at it and be like, dude, you're above that kind of nonsense. You're a hall of famer. You're an all NBA player. You're an all-star player. It's like, you shouldn't be doing that type of crap. Neither side really should. Um, so Morris nails Jokic with his shoulder. He does. And then Morris turns around and starts to walk away. It's like the fake tough tough guy that he's been in the past. And Jokic comes up and just two hands with all his force. Just barrels are not actually, I'm sorry. It was, it was more of like a shoulder elbow uh, slap and knock into the back of him. And Morris's head does snap back and he tumbles to the ground. Um, and then Jokic begins to walk away, and then there's it. It all goes to hell from there. Players on both sides, um, but primarily the Miami side, take offense to this as they should. Jimmy is there, yelling at everybody, just flat out like, "I'll kick all your asses. You want to go? You want a piece?" It reminds me of uh, uh, White Man Can't Jump after the game with you know. Uh, um, Wesley Snipes and Woody Harrelson hustle another guy and he's got that sling blade and he's trying to cut them. And eventually like uh, Wesley goes to his side and he's like, Oh yeah, cut that. You know, talking about Woody Harrelson, but he's like, you know what? Fuck that. I'm going to go to my car, get my other gun, shoot everybody. And that's what Jimmy looked like. Just this crazed of I'll fight you all. Let's go. You, you want a piece of this? And uh, I don't believe Jimmy could, was even paying attention to the play. But that's just the type of individual he is. And you got to respect that. He stands up for his teammate, even though his teammate is, by NBA standards, a dirty player. He is. Um, But, Jeremy, if you didn't feel that, you know, it was warranted from Jokic, I get it. Um, I think it's a tit-for-tat situation. I think if if you're going to do that to me, I'm going to do this to you. And when they brought the stretcher out, for Morris, um, personally, I was like, this is utterly ridiculous. The Oscar goes to just utterly ridiculous. And then he gets up and the announcers, oh, he walked off on his own. It's like, I, it's, he got pushed from behind. It's not like uh, Jokic connected with the back of his neck and that made his head snap back. I don't know. I've gotten hit like that before playing like, uh, tackle football and whatnot where somebody just levels you from behind and your whole body 
sandwiches over their shoulder in the wrong direction. And uh, I took less time getting up than Morris did. And then the fact that Morris is out tonight for whiplash, for potential whiplash, makes it look like I'm being an asshole right now. Maybe it is. I really feel like it's more acting, though. I really feel like he's hamming it up to get the public sympathy. And uh, I'm not buying it. I could be 100% wrong. This could be flat out insensitive to the man as he is physically trying to get back to an equilibrium. But given the fact that I've seen him do this BS tough guy and his brother, it doesn't help that they're twins. Because um, you can just associate one action. There's a few things I thought were Markeith that were Marcus when I was trying to find clips of what else did they do? Um, so, sorry, the chat is uh, jumping off talking about the white men can't jump uh, from Tim Williams talking about the, the Bucks player, uh, Marquise Johnson, is who that was. Um, yeah, equality. Um, so, because of it, all this comes down. The lead takes their time figuring out what the appropriate measure for the response. So in the game, Jokic got, gets tossed for flagrant two. Morris gets tossed for a, a technical. And then, uh, or I'm sorry, Morris gets tossed for, no, that's right. Hold on, I wrote it down in my notes because the the technicals offset one another because Butler was assessed a technical as well. Um, we had three fouls on the play. So Jokic, that's what it was, got ejected for an unsportsmanlike technical. Morris was ejected for a flagrant two, and then Butler was given a technical um, because basically he was just doing Jimmy Butler things. And Miami shot two and then got the ball side out. Um, so the repercussions, the fallout is Jokic got a one game suspension, which is going to cost him $210,417. So $210,000 in essence. Um, and a lot of people felt, well, if you're going to suspend Jokic, then you need to suspend Morris because there's no way Jokic does this if Morris doesn't provoke it. So there's a tit for tat situation. And by and large, as far as I can tell, and all the interviews and stuff I've seen over the years, Jokic is an exceedingly well-liked player. He's respectful of others. Uh, there's a clip from, you know, three, four games ago where his team lost, and he's the only Nuggets player that went over and shook the hands of ever, as, as many opposing players as want to do. Um. But like, go watch the clips of him in the all-star game running around like a little kid and the smile it puts on all these kind of uh, uh, jagged veterans, the ones that have been to the all-star game numerous times, but him and like Giannis acting like just two peas in a pod, kids really enjoying themselves. Um, that seems to be the type of emotion um, that he in, in, endears and engenders from those around him, right? So anyway, he gets a one-game suspension. And the NBA, when they look at that stuff, they take into account the fact that he has no real history of this in the league. There doesn't have a bevy of 
uh, fines previously or fouls on this level or anything like that. So one game suspension um, seems about right. Two games would have been worst case scenario. But as someone else pointed out online, if Pat Bev unprovoked only gets one game for pushing Chris Paul in the playoffs last year, how is this? This was provoked. But the calls for Morris to get suspended as well, I agreed with. If you're going to do one, it might stop Morris from doing this again, and he's done this numerous times over the years. And eventually, he could hurt somebody by doing this kind of crap. Um, But he doesn't. Morris gets fined $50,000. So that's the repercussion from him. And then Butler gets fined $30,000 for, quote, escalating the altercation, unquote, Um, which seems pretty accurate. 30K is pretty hefty for that. Uh, But, I mean, once you see the photo of Heat players waiting in the hallway outside the Nuggets locker room, you can understand why the NBA is levying some of these fines. I don't think they could really go after anybody else because nobody was as vocal, but there's – there's video of Jimmy on the sideline, basically equivalent to what him, TJ Warren, uh, were doing. Was that right before the bubble? Before the league shut down? I think it was. Where they're jawing at each other. And just like, anytime, man, I will take you down anytime. Um, going back and forth. So Jimmy has a bit of a history on this, but... Jimmy's also trash-talked his own team to their face, to the media after a practice. Um, You know, it has no problem speaking exactly what's on his mind at all times. And uh, love him or hate him, that's who he is. Uh, I'm a fan. But same time, as a former Bull, I always have a sweet spot for all the guys that played enough years on our team. Um, So... That's where it lays right now. Who do I agree with in this? Obviously, you can tell by the context of, I think both sides are at fault. Uh, but I think Jokic retaliating is fully justified. It's fully justified. Uh, especially for the NBA. Um, you know, because as Jalen Rose has pointed out over the years, you know, hold me back. Nobody really wants to get into a fight. So it's always like, hold me back. I will come at you. If there weren't three people in my way, I will, I would end you. And you're just like, you uh, never in a million years. Um, so like, this is the, basically pretty much the worst of any altercation. Every once and again, there is a punch thrown or something. Um, but it's exceedingly rare. But these types of moments where Morris could have hurt Jokic pretty badly and Jokic in turn could have hurt Morris pretty badly. Um, yeah, you need to, to hand out suspensions, fines, and basically make a guy think twice about this in the future. Um, I wonder what the max fine they could have given Morris before it went to an arbitration with the MBPA uh, my guess is like 50K might be the limit. I'd have to look that up. I know I knew that at one point because I had to look it up for something else, but that that information has it now escapes me. But I think the the topper on all of it is 
the Jokic brothers, so his two other brothers, who are masses of men, created a specific Twitter account the night of the incident to respond to Marcus Morris and others uh, basically saying like, oh, you know, I, you know, but Marcus was like, oh, you know, he does this with his back turned, shaking my head, noted as if this isn't in your repertoire. Um, so then the, the, the freaking Jokic brothers come back and basically like, do not try us. We will end you. Should not do this in public. Um, just ridiculous. The, the idea that these two massive humans are now on Twitter, like trying to have a public beef with Morris when Morris is just going to flap his gums a little bit. And nothing's going to happen. Um, but anyway, so that's where it is. It's uh, crazy, but then finally they they announced the the suspensions and the fines and all that. So it puts it gives a conclusion to it. But it's just like one of those situations that arises. Like how can you not talk about it? How can you not? Now on the flip side of that, of the how can you not? Um, another team in the West. The Phoenix Suns are dealing with their own little controversy. Um, so two, three weeks ago, there are some tweets from Phoenix area journalists saying, hey, Phoenix fans, you need to be aware that there is a massive story coming that has so many sources behind it that it's going to have tremendous repercussions for the Suns. Um and I remember reading that going, ooh, spicy, what's going on? And then it leaks out a little bit more. This is Robert Sarver. And you're like, oh, one of the most disliked owners in the league for the fact that he could be the biggest cheapskate uh, or in the discussion year in, year out for number one cheapskate amongst NBA owners, especially in a... It's not a large market, but it's not as small as a number of other markets. Um, and they have a loyal fan base. You know, this isn't like New Orleans, which has trouble selling tickets. And should they even be there? Probably not, because the locals don't really care. You know, they've got the Saints. They've got LSU. Uh, they've got other things that they're focused on as opposed to the Pelicans. Uh, but anyway, so Phoenix, so that starts percolating to the top and then all the nonsense comes out about Sarver where it's misogynistic. It is racist as can be. Um, so much so that since that report came out, I don't think Deandre Ayton has played a game could be coincidence, but he's also in a contract dispute with Sarver because he wanted a max extension and Sarver was being a cheapskate and wasn't going to give it to him. Um, now you could say that Phoenix is guessing there might not be another team out there that is willing to max Aiden. Maybe not, but I think that's a hell of a gamble for somebody that you took number one overall uh, when you had your pick of the litter and it was a pretty damn good draft. So I think you need to double down on this and pay him, but regardless, so all this blows up. I mean, it's it's bad. The things that he is quoted as saying, Sarver, and there are numerous numerous uh, witnesses to this, 
And now we've got former coaches and whatnot on the record. And there's anonymous sources. Some things have dozens of anonymous sources all contributing to like a, a one or two instances, which is like, oh, okay, 20 some odd people witnessed this one and 20 some odd people witness or have some account of this one. It's like, it's bad. But the weird thing is, so when you look at the Phoenix Suns, the first four-ish games of the season or so, um, they were playing terrible basketball. They were one in three. Their one win was against the Lakers. Unsurprising. The Lakers don't seem to do well against those teams technically at the bottom. Uh, look at you, OKC. And they lost to the Nuggets, Blazers, and Kings. And in that first four-game stretch, their 28th in offensive rating, 27th in defensive rating, and their net rating is also, uh, I'm sorry, they're 20th in offensive rating, 28th in defensive rating, and then 27th in net. Their net is negative net 9.5. And what all those numbers mean, I know I've said it in the past, but offensive rating is number of points per 100 possessions. So defensively, you want to be somewhere, if you're going to be top tier, uh, right around or a little over 100 would put you in probably top seven-ish, top eight-ish. Like if you can keep it at 103-ish and under, that's that's a good defense. And then offensive rating is how many points you score per 100 possessions. And on that one, if you want to be top tier, you want to be in the 110, 115-ish kind of range. Um, that's elite status. But then to have a negative net of 9.5, so you're giving up nine nine and a half more points than you're scoring in these first four games. And they just didn't look like themselves. And now they've been on a five game win streak. And some of this has coincided with the Sarver uh, allegations that have come out and the reporting and whatnot. And in that five game win streak, they've beaten the Cavs, Pels, Rockets, Hawks, and Kings. So you got some solid wins in there. You also have the Rockets and the Pels. I mean, <laughs> sorry to Rockets and, and uh, Pelicans fans, but you know that you're basically the doormats of the league along with a couple other teams. Um, but in that five-game win streak, they're 11th in offensive rating, fourth in defensive rating, and their net rating went from a negative 9.5 to a positive 7.5. They flat-out turned their fortunes around, and they went from bottom third of the West to they're sitting in fourth place right now. And that's also like the, the difference because it's so early, you just need a couple games and you can really write your, your fortunes. I mean, there's a half game between the eighth place Lakers and the fifth place Grizzlies right now. One game to the sun. So if the uh, Suns, you know, lose, a game or two and the Lakers win one boom, suddenly they're tied. That's the the difference of this early in the season. It's tough to get a real grasp on who is and who isn't, but the fact that the Suns are trending in the right direction and playing how most people I feel like assumed that they would, uh, has to be a positive sign for them. Um, so, I mean, the, it's nice to see that Phoenix has bounced back in this because that first four game stretch 
Booker was playing pretty decently, but his plus minus, they've still giving up, you know, more than he's getting. Uh, but that's across the board, everybody on their team. Uh, and I think the biggest takeaway from those first uh, four games was Chris Paul was just shooting pretty poorly, especially by Chris Paul standards, about 40% from the floor, but 30% from three. Uh, and now, you know, he's bumped his up to 54% from the floor and then 50% from three. It makes a difference. Uh like small little things there. You hit a couple more buckets per game, per player. Um, you know, if you have two, three guys that normally shoot 45-ish percent or so from the floor that are current, you know, in that bad strand, ah, stretch, shoot more like 35%. Well, fast forward five games, if they're making those one to two shots across those two guys. That's a difference of the extra points. Um, and then the uh, the defense is just about effort. So if you're in more of these games, you're bound to give more effort. And the fact that Aiden hasn't played in three games, you guys are still kind of churning along right now. Those are three straight wins. Will that maintain? Now nah, you need Aiden for the long haul. Um, but it's good to see that you can weather those types of storms. Hopefully he comes back. I really want him to have an amazing season. Um, a he seems like a really good dude, and two, if Sarver is still the owner, I want him to have to pay that money. I really do. He's always been a cheapskate, so I like the cheapskate getting backed into a corner and just like, well, what are you gonna do, man? What are you gonna do? Because if you don't pay him, your fans are gonna revolt and you're gonna lose money in the the long run. So it's either lose a little bit of money compared to what you would be doing without having to pay the luxury tax or lose even more money because you were being a cheapskate. Um, and sometimes the cheapskate can't see that their you know miserly ways can hurt them more so in the long run. But who knows if he will be there by the end of the season when these contract negotiations come up. It'd be interesting to see what happens. Um, in a situation like that, because they need to sell the team. So hypothetically, depending on who the individual is, if it's a high enough profile uh, player, having them under a long-term contract actually increases the value of your franchise, even if you're in the luxury tax, just because new ownership moves in and they're going to have a good team from day one, as opposed to inheriting a team that's stuck in a quagmire. Um and there's no, yeah, no direction out. So the Phoenix Suns, um, are trading in the right direction, and it's good to see. I like them. I thought they were going to be the best team in the West just because of the confidence they gain from making a finals push, and also they're so young that they've got the legs to go out there and do it. And they, I think, still young enough they want to prove to the league that that wasn't a fluke that they were good enough to be there and this isn't just some sort of one-off much in the same way that Miami's trying to do and Miami looks like a a really tough out this year um it's the type of identity stuff that once you get to a more established team you don't care about anymore because you've been there and done that so you're just like I just need to get to the playoffs healthy and with a solid idea of what our rotations are and the pecking order on the team um 
and we've run all kinds of configurations of lineups to figure out over the course of the season, if somebody goes down, which of these, uh, you know, lineups works best in various situations, which is what you're going to get from a more veteran season team. Um, so we'll see, but it's good to see that the Phoenix Suns are trending in the right direction. Now, also to stay in the West, once again, we're now going to swing over to the Golden State Warriors. And the Warriors are playing some of, if not the best basketball in the league right now. It's really impressive to watch. Because I live on the West Coast, I see an inordinate number of Warriors and Lakers and Clippers games uh, just because they start at the ideal time for me out here. And it's like the tail end of a bunch of East Coast games. And I've already watched... You know, sometimes I can see the whole thing, but there are quite a few occasions where I have to tune in for the second half and or dance around a little bit and watch a little of this game and a little of that game. And then it gets to the late night West Coast game. and There's no other competing. I can just sit and watch this. So I've watched a decent amount of the, the Warriors so far. And I know I brought them up in uh, previous shows so far this season here and there. Um but, you know, might as well talk about them because we're talking about the West this week and they are number one. They're sitting at uh, nine and one right now. And Curry is making a real case for MVP. It's something that the last time he won, right? And it, it got to the Giannis type of situation where he had won two MVPs but flamed out in uh, the playoffs. So you're like, the writers are never going to give him another MVP until he proves it in the playoffs. And so Giannis went out and did that and dropped a 50 piece in game six. Went 17 of 19, I believe it was from the free throw line, exercised those demons. The, one of the biggest holes in his game outside of, you know, uh, just a consistent, fully consistent outside shot, but that's coming as well. And now Giannis is back into the MVP discussion. I believe he is. He's in the top five for Vegas odds. I want to say last I heard he was either third or fourth. Um, and Curry is in second in MVP talks. And I didn't know that I would ever see that day again. I figured much like Giannis, when it happened to Curry, I was like, ah, when it gets to the, the late in the playoffs, you can really see that he's not as big a killer. And I don't think it was so much Steph's fault. It's just the game slightly changes. And now he has to fight through when he's fighting through screens and whatnot. He's also fighting through people grabbing at his arms and setting moving screens and all kinds of different things that get called in the regular season that don't in the, um, in the playoffs and especially the finals. And it hurts his overall efficiency and his the wildness of his numbers. But then if you really look at it, you're like, he's still really effective in those instances. Every once again, he has a bad game. But by and large, Steph shows up in the biggest moments. Um, and this year, it's been nothing short of spectacular to watch. I mean, he is shooting. So Monday night, you know, he drops... 50 points, 
10 assists, seven boards, three steals on 50% from the floor and 47.4% from three on nine of 19 shooting. That is utterly incredible. And there have been countless stories over the course of the season now where like new coaches on the coaching staff or players that had not had a run with the Warriors so far, walking off from a game, having watched him, nothing short of gobsmacked and awestruck. And I can't remember which coach it was, told Steve Kerr, I know you're used to this, but this is amazing. And Kerr's like, yeah, yeah, it is. You, you, you become numb to it on some level, and simultaneously you don't in the slightest. Because occasionally he'll shoot, and only Steph do you let get away with some of the shots that he takes, even though we're accustomed to like that SGA shot against the Lakers from literally the logo or Lillard adopting this incredibly long three strategy um, and other guys doing it. But Steph was the first and to watch him like curl off a screen. He's got the ball dance around. He had one in that Monday night game defenders on him. He's, Pushing forward, starts to go right, defender shadows, pulls back, starts to go left, defender shadows, and then he just suddenly jumps to his right and does a fading fall away out of bounds three, and it is a dead on the money, and you can see it before it goes in that it is perfect. It's got the perfect arc. His body was in flawless shooting form as he squared up to the basket and uh, just the rotation, the arc, everything. It is dead straight. And you're like, that's in. As soon as it leaves his hands, you're like, that's in. It's incredible to watch. And he's doing it this season. But now in comparison to like, say last season, he's got other individuals stepping up with him. So, so far this season, Steph is shooting 42 and uh, almost 43% from the floor overall and Roughly 39% from three. He's 52 of 134 overall. And then he's shooting 98% from the free throw line. He is 50 of 51. So his true shooting, um, an effective field goal, actually, well, because of the volume, it reduces those uh, overall. But still, he is excellent. And his uh, usage rate is about 30%. I think of you know serious starter minutes, Doncic is number one. At like 34 or 35 on the usage. And what usage means is basically on offense, what percentage of plays go through you? What percentage of plays are you involved in this offensive set or basically the focal point of this offensive set? So 30% of the time, it's Steph. And a usage rate of 30% is incredibly high, especially considering how well he's shooting from the floor overall. But then on the nights when he's not shooting well, he has Jordan Poole to step up. Jordan Poole is shooting 45% from the floor and 34% from three on 27 to 79 overall for the season. That's that's pretty damn excellent. You'd like to see that 34 get up to 38 along with Steph. Um, and perhaps in time, once again, we're only talking about a sample size of 10 games so far. So, in time, it will, but across the, the board on the rest of their players, Igadala looks completely revitalized 
Where was this guy in Miami? I'm sure Miami's looking and going, we could have used you. Um, Wiggins looks good. Draymond looks good. Bielitsa, I I have to imagine Kings fans are pissed off. It's like, where was this dude? Making gorgeous touch passes on the interior to try to help find the open man. Lights out whenever you need him to shoot. Um, a nice, you know, uh, tall body in there to add a little bit of, he's not a, a lockdown defender, but he's trying. And that makes a difference in and of itself. Damian Lee's playing really well. There are two rooks, Moody and Kamenga. Pretty decent so far. Uh, Gary Payton, uh, the second, rather, not junior. I always want to say junior because they have Otto Porter Jr. as well. Dude, just there are numerous sequences where his defense leads to immediate offense for them and sparks and gets the whole team and arena just going bananas. Um. So, it, I mean, Otto Porter Jr. looking good for right now. We'll see. I, I still big fat question mark on that, but then Juan Toscano Anderson and uh, Kevon Looney. It's like they, everybody on the team knows exactly what their role is, who they are, the pecking order, what they're here to do. But you can tell that they all thoroughly enjoy playing together. It is this, you know, it's the Spursian beautiful basketball of we're passing and we're going to try and find uh, the open man as best we can and move this ball around. And I think the fact that Curry is willing to never just stand there. He's going to continue to run around screens as long as his teammates are willing to set them, which forces the defense into all kinds of terrible situations on uh, switching and trying to make sure that they stay up with him without giving him any kind of open shot. And sometimes it ends up with guys inadvertently doubling and just boom, ball zips around some more. We find the open man and they just continue to move the ball around. And it's the type of action that you would love to see somebody like Westbrook or Harden take more advantage of Harden, especially it's like, if you don't have the ball in your hands, you're much more effective if you're running around because it forces the defense to have to use their brains and make choices and decisions that sometimes are going to be catastrophic for them. But if you're just going to stand at the top of the key and wait for your turn to hold the ball, well, now the defense can sag against you and it reduces the overall potency of your offense. I mean, that's one of the things with the Nets. They're, I believe, one and two between Durant and Harden or they're two and three. They're two out of the top three and ISO. They just ISO so much in that. It's like, man, if you guys got a little bit more fluidity within this as an overall offensive structure, you'd be just catastrophic to play against, just demolishing teams um, even more so. And you're still pretty, pretty damn good. But anyway, back to the Warriors. So during this opening stretch, here are the numbers. They are number one in defensive rating. And they're the only team below 100. They're at 98.2. So they're giving up... 98.2 points per 100 possessions. Once again, that is defensive rating. They're also number one in net rating. They're number one in effective field goal percentage. They're number one in true shooting percentage. They're number one in rebounding percentage. They're number one in assist percentage. They're number three in assist to turnovers. They're fifth in offensive rating, and they're fifth in pace. 
that is dominating every facet practically of the game. Their W's are against, they were at the Lakers, home versus Clippers, at Sacramento, at OKC, then uh, home against OKC, Charlotte, Pelicans, Houston, Atlanta. There are some really good games in there for them. And there's also some some doormats. But some it, when you say doormat, it's like, yes, you did have OKC and the Pelicans in Houston in that mix. But OKC has shown they can play. And Houston can play. But of those three, the Pelicans are the biggest question mark to me. Just because without Zion, I don't think that team has a real sense of identity and they weren't constructed to really succeed without Zion in the mix, in my opinion. Um, they also made a bunch of moves which I don't understand, but at that this point, there's no point, there's no use in crying over spilled milk. So the team is what it is. Uh, and their only loss, the Warriors, is against the Grizzlies in overtime, 104 to 101. So it took taking the Warriors to overtime for them to finally lose a game so far through 10 games this season. And hypothetically, they win that game. Say it's it's in Memphis. If that was at home and it goes to OT or something, maybe that tiny little bit of home court advantage swings in their favor. And suddenly the Warriors are even a little bit better. But it's honestly, if you can do yourself a favor, they're my favorite team to watch so far this season. There's a bunch of really uh, good ones. And for those asking, I am going to go see a Bulls game. But I'm going to see play the Clippers because... Uh, the Lakers tickets, once again, were just obscene. Um, and it also doesn't help that it's the Bulls. I'm going to save a few bucks. I'm, I'm going to try and go to a Memphis game, Memphis Lakers, or I want to see Ja play. There are a couple other teams that I want to see that don't have the pull that some of the larger market teams do that have more established fan bases. And Memphis doesn't out here, as far as I know. Um, I don't know a single Memphis fan, whereas... If you throw a dart at every other team, I think I know. Damn near, I'm like searching my brain. I don't know if I know a Hornets out here, although that could change. But I mean, I, I have two friends that are Pelicans fans. So just to give you an idea of, yeah, I've, I know quite a few across the spectrum. But it costs me less money to sit in the lower bowl. Like it's fourth row lower bowl. So there's the the actual concentric circle around the the court itself and to sit just that next tier up. So I'm like 50 feet from the court. Uh, it's still cheaper than sitting up fourth row from the very last row. So I think there are 12 rows in the upper, upper tier. And this was eighth row of the 12. And it was still 25% more than these tickets to sit about 50, 60 feet from the game. Much as I want to see LeBron and AD and Westbrook and all that, this kind, this combination, and I will at some point this season. I am not paying that much money to sit at the very top, and I don't mind those seats for the the same game that I'm going to. If I want to take those seats, they're about twenty percent the cost of the Lakers tickets for same area roughly, but instead of being row eight, they're row one, and it's still about about eighteen to twenty percent. 
of the price of the Lakers. Just like the Lakers, they it cost more to go. So yes, I am going to that game. Um, but I mean, do yourself a favor out there. Try and see the Warriors if you can. Because the joy in which they play is something that it's one of the reasons I love basketball. When you watch it, you're like, that's when when I play with my friends, you can feel it when a team is in sync and this team looks in sync more often than not. And they play with joy and they pass, they willingly pass the ball. They're actively rooting for all their teammates. Um, and I'm not saying that other teams don't do this, but they seem to they already had it as kind of an ethos, and then they incorporate these new pieces and their quotes from the newer players, like, oh, this is amazing to play here. No, no BS. I'm not just, you know, blowing smoke up my new teammates' keisters because I'm the new guy. It's genuinely, I can't believe more teams don't try and play like this. Now, it also helps when you have the personnel, the base personnel that they have. Um, but they have created a culture where this is the norm. Um, and the fact that their defense is so incredibly good right now is the real cherry on top for the Warriors. Well, I think the real cherry on top is the fact that Clay is going to come back at some point, you know, this season in a month and a half-ish two months and now you get somebody in my opinion that should have made the top 20 to 75 list um along with either parker and or ginobili personally i choose ginobili but that's also because his skill set was not replicable and he was so unique and then dwight and those were i'd find other ways to cut uh, I actually had a discussion about this uh, over the the weekend with uh, Wayne Fetterman, who's uh, been on the show, but knows quite a bit about basketball, wrote the official biography of Maravich, uh, whatnot, um, fighting about the, do we honor the older players and just flat out take the 50 in with this and add 25, or do we reassess the entire landscape? Um, and I am for the reassessing the entire landscape because I think it should happen again at the hundred year mark. We look at the 75 and we go, all right, how many of these 75 still hold up after a hundred? Uh, and you just constantly refine the list and refine the list. You really want it to be representative of the, the whole as a anyway, but they get clay back. And once they get clay back, so long as he can slowly integrate and get back to himself, um, Boy, the Warriors, if you're betting, might want to take the long odds now on whatever it is to win a championship because they should be in the mix. And I feel bad somebody, uh, I don't want to say who it is just because they may or may not want to know, um, took the Sixers under because I didn't like them in my preseason preview. And uh, the Sixers are making me eat crow on that. So I apologize if anybody else bet on the Sixers under um, if like my opinion helped basically confirm yours or whatever the case, or my opinion influenced, maybe you were 50, 50 and you're like, ah, and just hearing one other individual is going, you know what? I can see the logic in this. And I steered you wrong on that. I apologize. I did not see this coming. Um, but the warriors just like, wow, if they can, Clay comes back, 
he looks good and they can integrate him slowly, bring him back into the fold and get him up to regular playing time minutes. Dear God, this team already looks good. And now you'd have, you know, Curry, Pull, Wiggins, Draymond, and Clay out there. Boy, that is a small lineup. <laughs> Maybe you don't do that. I don't know. Because Poole's been playing so well. Do you want to relegate him to the bench and have him run with the second unit and just feast there because he's been so good. Anyway, neither here nor there. Um, but the Warriors have been excellent. So to sum up today's show, I think both guys should have been suspended. It's nice to see that the, the Suns have weathered the storm and Chris Ball. Maybe it's Chris Ball's leadership having gone through this nonsense before. Um, and now you know, when he was on the Clippers and now having to deal with it again on the Suns and he can just kind of walk his guys through the expectations of what is to come over the next, you know, few weeks to months. Um, and then finally the Warriors, uh, the joy of basketball with the Warriors, but there it is. That is today's drop in dimes. I want to thank you. Um, to everybody that joined me in the chat, uh, Ramon Cook, Tim Williams, Jeremy Bowers, uh, Diamond Rattler, um, and to everybody that was watching that didn't chime in, whatever you're doing, if you're at work or uh, I know some people drive around and put this on. Uh, it doesn't seem safe, but I'm not going to narc you out. Um, thank you to everybody that joined me live. I apologize once again for being a couple minutes late. I uh, got held up for a few minutes, but here I am talking the hoops. Uh, you can follow me anywhere at Madnost. If you could, uh, you know, like the video, leave a comment, or uh, leave a rating on iTunes. Any one of those three, I thoroughly appreciate it. It helps the show and uh, helps get the word out. And, uh, you know, maybe gets more basketball eyes to talk hoops on this. But there it is. That is it for Dropping Dimes this week. I'll see you guys with another episode. Until then, stay safe out there. And adios.